0: TalkZone.com
2: And welcome to the two guys at zone.com Stanley Cup hockey here in the fine city of Chicago as the Blackhawks will be hosting. Hosting on Saturday. It's the coach of the big dog will be soon to join us here on the show. Thank you very much. Absolutely gorgeous, gorgeous Friday here in the fine city of Chicago. A hey, beautiful, beautiful day. Maybe they could open up, I don't know if the United Center, if they could put in a retractable roof between now and Saturday maybe that they can but uh, you know open it up let's play a little outdoor hockey this weekend it's too beautiful for the fans out there but uh, it should be a lot of excitement Blackhawks taking on the Philadelphia Flyers a great underdog story you know if I wasn't rooting for the Hawks if I wasn't for, from Chicago if I wasn't a long time long time Chicago Hawk fan the Philadelphia Flyers would be an easy team to root for what a great story there, but uh, we will see we will see. Best of seven. How many games will it go? You want to make some predictions? You want to make some picks? You got thoughts on it? We will be a hockey intensive. Not just hockey. Not just hockey. we got a special guest checking in today who has a uh, tremendous knowledge of baseball. Written a book on baseball, so we'll talk a little baseball. Cubs did win yesterday. Cubs win. Cubs win. Cubs win. Sox lose. Sox lose. Sox. Cubs win. Sox lose. We'll do our MLB recap as per always, and uh, I missed it. Totally forgot to watch it, quite frankly, but a great, great NBA game. Bad sports talk host. It's just, uh, too much going on these days. Just too many activities going on. You got the Indy 500 coming up. You got the Belmont. You got all kinds of stuff going on here. The French Open are very, very distracted by the uh, sight of Venus Williams. Too much going on. I completely forgot. Completely forgot to watch the Phoenix Suns take on the LA Lakers. Uh, Last night, and I would uh, my first question to you, Joel Redwansky, in honor of Venus Williams in the French Open. More importantly, what was Steve Nash wearing yesterday?
1: Uh, first and foremost, please don't say French Open and Venus Williams in the same sentence. It, get, it gets me confused because I always forget about tennis. I don't remember that, <laughs> that it's happened until Wimbledon, Wimbledon in a couple I, of
2: weeks. I finally saw the outfit that you were talking about yesterday. You know, when you hear it in words, I heard you describe it. It didn't do much when I actually saw it. Then I could realize what all the hubbub was all about. Yes, she was
1: wearing a corset; it was like lingerie on the tennis court. Wow. I, am I Am I lying if you haven't seen it?
2: Yes, you are not lying.
1: Oh, it's oh my goodness! It, it is a little
2: crazy. Well Steve? Oh, but, uh, Steve more Nash- importantly, what, what was Steve Nash wearing yesterday? Was he showing a little thigh?
1: Uh, He was definitely showing a little thigh. Uh, He should go back to the Pete Maravich short short.
2: I think that will help his scoring game, coach. Yeah, his nose. uh, Holy underwear! (laughs) His nose has been uh, broken more than a few times, has it not?
1: Yeah. Well, without without a doubt, that is one of the most uh, toughest SOBs that you you would ever want to see. Was funny because he had that black and blue eye, but it was more like purple and yellow. It looked like the Lakers' colors at the Mm -hmm. beginning of the series. Now he's got the broken nose. You know, Coach, I love sports, and I'm a fan of the NBA, but I'm a college football, baseball, NFL guy. I love the Blackhawks, love the Bulls, but the NHL and the NBA are kind of like, oh, I like them. I don't love them. One of those games last night, that that Laker-Sun game, reminded me that the NBA playoffs are well worth watching. Disappointing that the Suns couldn't pull it out because I am pulling for little Stevie Nash, but what a ball game, Coach. Oh, my goodness, what a game.
2: Yeah, I'm totally uh, disappointed and mad at myself that I missed that. Apparently Phoenix uh, put up a good battle at Los Angeles. They'd won two games in a row. They were five points down, minute and a half left. They came back, tied it up. Steve Nash, big three-pointer. Nash had 29 on the night, but uh, with less than a second left. Ron Artest put one in, a, a kind of a rebound put-back basket, right?
1: Uh, basically, it was a catch of an air ball. I know that's considered a rebound, but he basically came flying in. And it's one of those things where, um, uh, I guess it was uh, Jason Richardson who had hit the previous three. Yes. People call, well, you know, how do you feel that your guy was the one that you didn't box out? You know, Coach, you're a basketball coach. And honestly, I would be mad at somebody if they didn't box out properly and they gave up the, the rebound put back to lose the game. But Kobe shot an air ball. It was such a bad shot that how do you get position on a guy do you know? Do you understand what I'm saying? Absolutely. There was, yeah. was nothing he could do, and people were giving Richardson, "Well, you should have boxed out." Should he? It was an airball. Just the way the angle was, he had no chance to actually, you know, and maybe he could have read it a little better, and he could have fought off a little better. But I, I do not blame Jason Richardson mm. for allowing Ron Artest to be able to catch. A ball that was
2: two feet short. It was at least two feet short. Coach. Dramatic, dramatic basket. Big win. It might be the uh, basket that sends the Lakers to the NBA Finals. game was tied at the time. Ronnie Artest had been playing a pretty bad game. It was only like his, what, his second basket of the game. And a couple yeah, of minutes he was, earlier, it was he just taken a... eight
1: previous to that. And it was one for eight taking horrible shots. Yep. Like taking 22-foot shot fadeaways with 18 seconds on the shot clock. I don't even know why he was on the court to be quite honest with you at that point.
2: Phil Jackson, the master guru, he said he was quoted in the paper said he just had a feeling that our tests would come up big, even though he was mad at him for some bad shots. He had a mm-hmm. feeling that our test would make things happen come crunch time.
1: Yeah, because, you know, just like in any sport, you know, you could have you could have a, you know, a guy miss a tackle or miss a block or, or uh or, you know, like miss a couple shots, but like when you take bad shots or you block the wrong guy or You're swinging for the fence, and all you need to do is hit one back up the middle. That's the stuff that really frustrates you. And Mm -hmm. that's what – Reinhard Kessler was playing like an idiot yesterday. He he was coach. Mm -hmm. He shouldn't have been on the court. He would not have been on the court if I was the coach of the Lakers. That shows you why right now I'm doing uh, an internet radio show.
2: If I I ever own an NBA uh, team, Big Dog, and I'm currently thinking about purchasing a team – actually, I'm thinking about purchasing a league. I'd prefer to do that, but if I can't get a league, I'm going to get a team – you are on my short list. I'm not going to guarantee it, but you are one of the three or four guys I would interview as head coach.
1: Okay, well, well, coach, I'll tell you something. I'd be colorful. Yes. I will give you that. I will definitely be colorful. Yeah. And I'll do different imitations of different coaches all the time. I'll flick back my hair one day, be Pat Riley, and uh-huh. the next day I'll be a Southern gentleman, and I'll be Taylor Johnson.
0: <laughs>
3: okay?
1: So I, I can, I will, and you know I can do coach speak well. Uh-huh. And, and remember this the way the NBA is set up, and if you think I'm lying, people, this is the truth that Bulls' value went up when Michael Jordan left the Bulls uh, prior to the 1999 season. And if anybody out there thinks, oh, he doesn't know what I'm talking about, look it up. So basically, Coach, what I'm saying to you is, since there's revenue sharing in the NBA, and it's all the way across the board, everything is shared. Merchandise. The only thing that you keep is the gate. But trust me, that's such a small portion of what an NBA team makes. They make much more on the TV deals and the merchandise. All you got to do, Coach, is have the worst team in the NBA mm-hmm. and nobody wants to play there. It doesn't matter that no one will show up because our our payroll okay. will be about $10 million. The money that we'll make in revenue sharing, you'll make money hand over fist.
2: Look at this. It's not They're, a bad the deal. The
1: Clippers make more money than any team in the NBA, Coach. Not a not bad deal. So you're, starting,
2: you're starting to pique my interest all of a sudden than myself as the owner and you as the coach. Now we just have to find an NBA team that uh, would be somewhat affordable.
1: Can I be the general manager? I'd rather be the general manager. The general manager in football, ridiculous amount of work. General manager in basketball, you got 12 guys. I mean, what the heck? You know, you watch the NCAA tournament, you know what I mean? You take the best player you watch during the tournament, and you find some itch somewhere, and you're uh, fine. Yeah, I
2: don't know, but you've you got to be organized to be a general manager. you got to do some paper shuffling. A
1: secretary. What? That's the only thing I You, we, you, yes. you think I can't be organized. If I, had some, if I had some hot chick as a secretary, I would be fine. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh goodness! All right, well, I'll make collections after the show. See what we can drum up with here. Maybe we can know who was our guest. Was it yesterday, two days ago? I think Bob Ibach, yeah who said he actually owned. He just kind of threw it in in passing. Did you like that? Oh yeah. Besides uh, writing the book and selling these things, I also own the Continental Baseball League. Yeah, and it just and, sounded, and by the way, it sounded I, so I cool.
1: One of the owners of that particular league, and all I got to say is Bob needs to get rid of that particular guy. The guy's an absolute. Uh, i don't know jagmo i don't know exactly okay. how you, what, the exact word for it so. Uh
0: huh all
1: right well so I, I, need I like to talk that, to him about one particular guy
2: i like that concept i don't you know even if it's uh, some obscure league and some obscure location of this fine country the united states i would like to just say on my resume that i own a league i thought that sounded kind of cool
1: it, it is pretty cool i mean isaiah Thomas did it once and made the league defunct and then yes. he was able to write it off for taxes mm-hmm. he ended up costing about he cost, like, uh, 1,100 people their jobs, but he was able yeah. to make, like, $4 million on a tax write-off.
2: Yeah, it was disgusting. Disgusting, yeah, he, You're talking I about did. the old Isaiah Continental, Thomas. The Continental uh, Basketball Association, which at the time, and it, it's gotten back a little bit, but at the time was actually a fairly successful uh, AAA, if you will, to the NBA.
1: The, the more I find out about Isaiah Thomas, the more of a piece of crap I think that guy is. Mm-hmm. Seriously. I mean, what, what he did to all those people that worked in the CBA... Those people barely had any money in the first place. They were doing what they loved to do, had you know what I mean, and were yep. sacrificing a lot to follow their dream. And what, what he did, is it's, uh, it's disgusting. We should get mm-hmm. somebody, because I, I think somebody wrote a book about that and, and what he did to people. So
2: mm-hmm.
1: we we need to get that guy on, even though we do have a, a another book writer on our, or excuse me, I think they're called authors instead of word writers.
2: Yep. Well, in so this we, day and age, you can call them anything you want. You can call them, you know, that, nobody, there's no more manuscripts. We know that for sure. Dan Schlesperk is the gentleman you're talking about, fine author of a uh, baseball book. We're going to get him on in a little bit. Big Dog and a coach, by the way, with you right up until 11 o'clock. We do it each and every day here, one hour per day. Phone lines are open if you want to check in, talk some sports, or uh, if you don't want to talk some sports, jump off the sports page. We're more than happy to do that as well. Triple eight four six three six seven four eight 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 four six three sixty seven forty eight. 6748 I was trying to think of a way, Big Dog, as the true professional that I am.
1: Okay, well, Apparently, let everybody else think that. I know that. I
2: was pausing to wait for David Olson's laugh track. Apparently it's not working. But uh <laughs> to transition from the NBA talk to the matter at hand, Stanley Cup Final Playoff Hockey. How about the fact that Steve Nash, the guy we were talking about, he's a Canadian. I'm sure he played hockey in his younger years. I'm sure he's watching. Let's use that as transition. The Flyers, my friend, are visiting the Blackhawk. Stanley Cup Finals. The first time, Big Doug. First time in your life that we've... um have a chance for a Stanley Cup championship?
1: Um, well, you know what? It, we did go to the finals in 92, and we yes. did have a 4 nothing lead in the first period of Game 1. Are you serious? So I do believe they a had minute. a
2: chance that year. We led 4 to nothing in the first period? You don't remember that? I do not. You don't remember? And then Eddie Belfour actually drilled a hole in the middle of his chest, and the Penguins kept firing the puck through it? I mean, I remember... The series we we got swept that series right four straight. Oh, we got swept. And, and I don't it look at it, coach. You know I don't.
1: You know if I say something is a fact when it comes to sports facts, it is a fact. Yes, sir. And you have no idea. I'm dancing in the. I'm dancing in my living room. It was unbelievable. The the, the madhouse on Madison was going absolutely berserk. And I'm not kidding you. When that game was done, I turned to my buddy and I was like, "They don't have a snowball chance in hell." Okay, they don't. I was like, it's uh-huh. done. It is and over. That, it. That was, I, 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 they didn't have a lead the rest of the rest of the, the rest I, you of know, man, next my, three
2: games. My, my, my memory is just shot these days. In 1992, the the opening game was at Chicago Stadium. And it, the Hawks and, were up 4 wow. nothing in the first period. Wow, I do not. I'm shocked. You don't remember that? Trust me,
1: well, I'll never forget it because I was like, we're going to win because I thought we were going to get killed. You know, because it was the, the, the really quick, multi-talented – Eight different Hall of Famers on the Penguins, and they played on that gigantic ice on the igloo. And the mm-hmm. old, uh, the old madhouse on Madison was it, it was the size of the rink you put in your backyard. It was like half the size. It was the smallest rink in all of hockey. Mm-hmm. And the hot Haw- the Hawks had a bunch of thugs, and they had a couple guys you can score. They had like you know Larmer and, and Ronick. You know they they had a good team. Let's face it, they had a really good team, uh, Dougie Wilson. But you know they were a bunch of goons on ice that can score a little bit. And they said it's four nothing. I'm like it's over with. I was like, and then, then before, I mean, Mario and Yager, and remember Joe Mullins, coach. Yep. I mean, Ron Francis. That Pittsburgh Penguin team was incredible, and it was like they just turned the switch on. It was, it was like, it was like the '92 Bulls at the time. Like, all of a sudden, they got punched in the mouth and was like, uh, oh, I don't think so. And then the really... four lead evaporated. I don't know like when they got the lead, but whenever they got the lead. The, they, the Hawks never let again the rest of the next four games. Want to or hear the from day. the
2: hockey fans out there. Talk some Stanley Cup finals. 888 uh, 463 By the way, Big Dollar, something we're going to do today, including with author Dan Schluchberg. Anybody that calls up today, we will use them and I'm going to play Pat Foley. You can be, um, you can be uh, Eddie Ulcher, and we mm-hmm. will actually announce them with their name scoring a goal in the Stanley Cup playoffs. That's just an added bonus. Okay.
1: So you have to do the announcing, and then I just have to describe it. Yeah, or you could you could do Pat Foley, and I'll be happy to be any old. No, nah, nah, we'll... you're the play-by-play guy. Coach. No, I, I bring the color. This pasty white boy brings the color. Okay.
2: <laughs> <laughs> All right. So anybody that calls up today, eight 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 four six three sixty seven forty eight, Bobby from Bowling Tommy from Topeka, Kansas, wherever you're calling from, we will uh, include you in a in, and we'll. Make up a scenario where you score a goal in the Stanley Cup Finals. You can tape it. You can, uh, you know, give it to your parents, your kids. It can be a lifelong memory for you. Not necessarily a good one, but it will be a lifelong memory.
1: And um, if, if you're if you're one of those six people that would rather have Cub baseball talk, we'll be more than happy to do the Harry, Harry uh, Steve Stone version <laughs> of a of a of a Chicago Cubs home uh,
2: Good. I can't believe I can't remember that four nothing to I will say though, the early 1990s, big Dung, uh huh, not. My best years?
1: Well, luckily for me, the early 90s, I was in college, and I, basically I kept my head in a bong is the best way for me to, to <laughs> say, Coach. So I don't remember it either. But that game, <laughs> I happened to be at my mom's house. So Uh-oh. my mom didn't let me pass the bong around so the house. So that I, I, had to stay outside in the garage is the best
2: way for Your put head it. was not in the bong while you were at your mom's house? No. And okay. as, as a matter of fact, she had no idea
1: the bong was in the garage either. Okay. okay.
2: I'll never so, forget uh, to, uh, uh, playing softball with my buddy Pete Zettis. Burnout Pete. Is? Great guy, great guy. But he was Burnout Pete. He invited us over to his grandmother's house after the game, a couple of blocks away from the field. We're sitting mm-hmm. in the backyard, and the grandma brings out a marijuana cigarette, and she's passing around the marijuana cigarettes. A, a marijuana
1: thing. cigarette, coach. Come on, don't don't even say that. You just call it a joint, okay? Uh, uh, whatever. Come on, you, you did you 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 did have an afro in 1973. You can call <laughs> it a joint, okay?
2: Let me ask you this. And I, I'm shocked that I don't remember losing a 4 nothing lead. That's well, unbelievable. Well, the point is I only really remember because I was at my mom's house.
1: Is, yes. If I had been at my buddy's house, it would be all a fog well, to me.
2: Is it equivalent to, and I would rate one of my 10 most greatest, uh, uh, quick, if you will, sports memories. I think a lot of Chicago fans would put this in their top 10, and I'm going to ask you to compare this with that Blackhawk four nothing lead, even though I don't remember it. And we're talking about Devin Hester in the Super Bowl, returning the touchdown in the opening part of the game for you know Bear fans as ecstatic as we could possibly get, one of the great moments in Bear history. And of course we all know after that the game went completely downhill and we got completely clobbered. Would would that well, be a fair comparison between the two? Don't
1: forget I, I would say no. I will say no. Okay. Uh, just because a, a goal in hockey, it isn't like a touchdown. It's like ten points in football. You could say, well, you only need one score to get back. I do realize that, but it's it's you know the scores in hockey are typically three to two, four to three.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Scores in football, you know, they're not twenty one fourteen typically. They're more like I don't know. They're a little bit higher scoring, so it's a little okay. bit more than just like a touchdown.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's, I mean, it's if, if, if they were up like seventeen or twenty one nothing, or yep. twenty eight nothing, yeah. I would say you know they got a chance, but I got to be honest with you, my my wife at the time, right when it happened, I was like, couldn't, because I told her how scared I was that morning. I "I really don't feel good about this. Right right when it happened, I was like, I believe it. She's like, well, didn't, didn't, uh, oh, she, I forgot the name. Didn't Teddy Ginn just return an opening kickoff in the national title game?
2: Yep. She put me down right, yes, you're right. That's that's exactly right. Ohio. And he got injured in doing it, right? What's up? And he got injured, Ted Ginn, Jr., for in Ohio celebration. State. In Yeah. And he, yeah <laughs> and he so couldn't. And
1: they were celebrating, and next thing you know, Ted Ginn is out. And, and then, I mean, <laughs> she's like, you know, there's still some football to be played. It was unbelievable. It was yeah. like, you know, the, like the one person in the house, like, dang, I taught this woman right. I taught her how to how to be a fan. Too bad I didn't teach her how to be a normal human being.
2: Mm-hmm. All right. We're filling up the cup today talk a little Stanley Cup hockey. Give us a call, 888 You want to make your comments via the email, you can do that too at Mike2GuysAOL.com. M-I-C and the number 2, by the way, Mike2GuysAOL.com. Big dog, you look at the two teams, the Flyers and the Blackhawks. I don't claim to be an expert of the Philadelphia Flyers, but as you learn more about them, uh, not. Totally dissimilar to the Blackhawks, and I say that, I know they're a little older or a little more experienced. Blackhawks are probably a little quicker, more talented, but both teams, um, you know, it's not one star that carries them. They both have depth. They both got a bunch of good scoring lines. They're both hot of late, and they both got a fairly untested goaltender. So there's some similarities, are there not?
1: Yeah, there is. I, I will say the Hawks have more depth, and the Hawks have more people who can put the puck in the net. Okay. Definitely. I mean, I will definitely say that. And the, I, I will admit the only uh, Philadelphia hockey games that I've watched this year was the great hockey mm-hmm. during the playoffs that I could possibly watch. Um, luckily I had the NHL network in versus, so I was able to watch a lot of that. But um, it, its I, I'm going to, the Hawks should win this series. They definitely should win this series. Okay. So I, I do understand that everybody is just, you know, assuming that the Hawks are going to win and hopefully. The players aren't doing that because if the players are doing that, Philadelphia will end up winning. But if they, if they get it done, coach, they mm-hmm. have enough depth that they'll win this
2: right. Well, Your predictions have been, uh, for a guy that, uh, you know, is not exactly a hockey expert. Your instincts throughout the Stanley Cup playoffs have been outstanding. You have been spot on in each yeah, of don't... your predictions. So I'm, I'm happy to hear you picking the Blackhawk to win it. The only thing I
1: didn't get right was when the Montreal Canadiens was down 3-1. I jumped on their bandwagon, said they're going to win three in a row against the Flyers. Mm -hmm. And I have to admit, Coach, to be honest, 100%, I really didn't believe that. And I'm not just saying that because I I got it wrong. I just wanted the Hawks to play uh, the New York Yankees of hockey. Uh, and and beat up some French people in the in the final, <laughs> and I, I'm not kidding. I really wanted to beat the Frenchmen in the
2: boot. Nothing like a good original six matchup. It would have been fun, but I think the Flyers and Blackhawks could be an outstanding Stanley Cup final. Real quick, because we got a special guest. We're going to take a break and get to him. But let me ask you this on the Flyers now, just to uh, you know give them their dues. Any Philadelphia listeners via the webcast 888-463-6748. State your case here on Chicago Sports Talk Radio, thetalkzone.com. A team that has been on the brink of death so many times, Big Doug, and we're not going to go back and relate it all. I think most people know the stories now. If they get down in a game, if they get down in a series, their confidence level is still going to be pretty high. Do you find that, as a Blackhawk fan, a little bit dangerous and that this is no. a Philadelphia team that um, is going to believe right to the very end?
1: Uh, absolutely not. I mean, no matter who you face, no matter who the Hawks are going to face in the in, in the NHL Finals, yep. there was going to be something that would have worried you about them. So the fact that Philadelphia has like this comeback ability, coach, I, I'm not going to be afraid of that whatsoever. Okay. Whoever they played was going to have a, a great, great, uh, you know, attitude, a lot of talent, all mm-hmm. that good stuff. Right. Quite simply, you know, the fact of the matter is people might forget this, but you know, the Hawks are down one, two to Nashville, and Nashville without playing them at that point in the series. Mm-hmm. I know that was I know that was a long time ago, and it was the first round but you know what, if just say the Hawks lose the first game, they're not going to panic. They're not going to act. You know what they'll think? If the Hawks are down zero 2 they'll be like, you know what, we're finally on the road. We'll start winning games on the road. So that, it's, I don't see Philadelphia having any type of psychological advantage whatsoever. Then you say, oh, they can come back. Well, maybe they've come back so often they've skated uh, their legs out and they don't have anything left. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that that's, you can look at the story either way, Coach.
2: We're going to take a quick break. By the way, came downstairs this morning, my wife wearing a her a morning robe, cooking breakfast for the kids. On the back of it, she had Pronger, number 14. Very disturbing, Big Duck.
1: Yes. Yes, absolutely. And NHL's it, MVP in 1999. And
2: had the Flyers logo emblazoned on the front. It could be a rough time in the uh, Cone, Cone household the next week. All right, we're taking hey, a quick might, break. You better be careful. She may give you a back cut. <laughs> Uh, I know uh, you might have issues with this uh, next guest, Big Dog, because I know you're a guy who believes that there might be another 300-game winner. We're going to take a quick break from Stanley Cup Hockey and talk some baseball with an award-winning author when we come back. It's two guys at a mic, TalkZone.com, producer extraordinaire. He hasn't won 300 baseball games, but he has produced 300 more than outstanding radio shows. David Ols running today's show. Dave says time to take a break, so we take a break.
1: Back to Two Guys and a Mic, your mid-morning break sports talk show. Once again, here's the coach, John Cohn, and the big dog, Joel Radwanski, on TalkZone.com.
2: Still don't like the way that guy gives you top billing, big dog, that guy. Here's the coach, John Cohn, and the big dog, Joel Radwanski. I threatened him, coach. If I wasn't so comfortable in my own ego and in my own... uh... Uh, professionalism I would be concerned about his uh, obvious lack of favorite or his obvious lack of objectivity thank you very much big dog and a coach with you up until 11 o'clock here 888-463-6748 the phone number want to welcome in right now a tremendous author he's written over 35 baseball books are you kidding me I haven't even written or I haven't even read 35 books in my life he's written over 35, used to work for the Associated Press, has a great book out now called The 300 Club. It's Dan Schlossberg joining us here. The two guys at a mic show. Dan, how are you? Good morning.
3: Great to be on your show. Happy Memorial Day weekend.
2: Uh, right back. Answer you. Are you a hockey fan and all, Dan. We're very excited here in Chicago about our Hawk.
3: Well, unfortunately, it's baseball season all year round for me, so I can't answer that in the affirmative. Okay. But so we that, love baseball, I can, too. I can truly understand
1: that, Dan. I, I, I totally can. I, I do love the game of baseball.
2: Mm-hmm. So. The
3: only
1: hockey player I know is named Tom Glavin. Yeah. <laughs> he was pretty good, Don't too. Get Kirk
3: McCaskill, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Tom Glavin could have gone pro, too. He was yeah. drafted by the L.A. Kings.
2: Mm-hmm. Another fine Canadian, Stevie Nash in the basketball, a uh, fine Canadian who I think was a pretty good hockey player back in the early years. But you're talking a couple of baseball guys here. Big Dog, in particular, is a baseball trivia whiz, Dan. In fact, are you familiar with the show um, Stump the Schwab on ESPN back in the day?
3: Oh, very much so.
2: Okay, my partner Joel, one of only two people ever, ever to beat to stump the Schwab twice, and he did a, wow. a lot with baseball stuff. So
1: yeah, it, the I love the baseball stuff, Dan. So like, like I can name all the 300 game winners. I mean, it's it's pretty sad. Like off the top of my head, I can just start naming mm-hmm. them and just being like, oh, that guy won this many games. Like it, the old Hoss Rayborn, you name it, I know them all. Mm-hmm. So it, it's oh, pretty sad, fabulous. Dan.
0: Well, I'm also I should, I'm also should,
1: a 38 year old virgin though, so that that
3: isn't. <laughs> I should shoot you some 300 games trivia, 300 oh, game winners trivia. Stuff.
2: Yeah, th- throw a couple at him, Dan.
3: All right. What was the only year in baseball history that the four biggest
1: winners in baseball history were active at the same time? Huh. Um, oh, that's a really good oh. one. So the four biggest. So you're talking about uh, Christy Mathewson with three 373, Walter Johnson four. 17, the big train. Cy Young five eleven. Look at this guy. Um it would have to be Cy Young's last year. Yeah, you missed one. Grover, Cleveland,
3: Alexander, three
1: seventy three. Yeah, uh yeah, that's and I, it, what the he type of Christy Matthewson.
3: Um
0: right, that's right. So it would have
1: to be Cy Young's last year. I think Cy Young was eighteen ninety uh nineteen eighteen.
0: Uh, A
3: little bit before that. It was also Grover Cleveland Alexander's rookie year when he won 28 games. The year was
1: 1911. Wow. That's a fantastic trivia question. I should have known Cy Young was done by then.
3: My guess was
2: 1967 when Dick Ellsworth threw that complete game at the end of the year. I would have been off for a few years, though.
3: Let me give you one that I think is a little easier.
2: Who was the only
3: 300-game winner who pitched his whole career with one team? Oh, that's a great question. The only one? Uh, Only one.
1: Wow. I'm going to go with Warren
3: Fon. No, but that's that's a pretty good guess because Spahn pitched his whole career with the Braves except for his last year.
1: Where did he pitch his last year? He split it with the Mets and the Giants. I had no idea that uh, Warren Spahn did not finish his career with the Braves. Okay. Uh, Christy Mathewson then. Uh, No, but you're getting to the right vintage. (laughs) Uh, I'll have to give up on this one. Walter Johnson, all with the Washington Senators. Wow. I see. I should have known that, too. I really, that's one I should have known. Walter Johnson, the flamethrower from the Big the
2: Train, The Big, train.
1: Off in the 20s, so. the big yeah, train. Christy Mathewson actually
3: pitched almost his whole career with the New York Giants, but at the very end, he was traded to Cincinnati, and he was a the manager there, but he did
1: pitch mm-hmm. for them. Okay. Okay. They, these are good questions. I'm, see, if you're stumping me, these are good, good, good questions, to be honest with you. So, okay,
3: last one. Who was the only 300 game winner who was also a 300 game loser? Who? Stuy uh, Young. Very good.
1: You got that. You got that one. All right. You
3: bet. There you go. At least I got one of
2: them right. All right. Wow. All right. Again, the book is called the 300 Club. Dan Schlossberg joining us here in the Two Guys in a Mic Show. Dan, let me ask you first: the inspiration behind uh, writing this particular book. Uh, I know the 30 game, the 300 game winner is a milestone. But uh, how did you come up with the idea? I know you've written 34 books previous. So, what was the inspiration behind this one?
3: Well the inspiration is baseball fans seem to be preoccupied with offense. You know, five hundred home runs, three thousand hits, and three hundred game winners, it's a really rare breed. Pitchers Mm -hmm. often get overlooked, they don't get the credit they're due. And if you look at the guys who did not win three hundred games, you've got a real bunch of real great all-star team, a real bunch of Hall of Famers, I was gonna say. I mean, you've got Robin Roberts and Fergie Jenkins, Bert Blylevin. There are a lot of great pitchers who did not make it. Bob Gibson, Jim Palmer. I could go on and on Mm with the guys who are not in the three hundred club. In fact, I have a chapter in the book on guys who didn't make it. I talked to a whole bunch of them, and they talked about how great it was to win 300 games, but it's such a rare feat. Only 10 guys living who've won that many games and only 24 in baseball history.
2: I was going to say that, that that chapter that you just added on, you could probably add on to it a lot more in the next 15, 20 years because as hard as it was back then, it's even harder now, is it not? To win. Oh, a- much
3: more so because you've got five man rotations instead yes. of four man rotations. You've got pitch counts. Starting pitchers are only expected to go six or seven innings. Right. You've got trainers and doctors, guys going to DL for the slightest hangnail. So <laughs> things have changed a lot.
1: Yeah, and and you bring up like Sandy Koufax didn't even win 170 games. He won 166. Times really, really definitely have changed. But, I mean, are you 100% sure? It's one of those things you just don't think it's going to happen. Are you making a prediction that uh, Randy Johnson's the last one ever?
3: Yes, I think Randy Johnson's going to
1: be the last guy ever. The
3: only guy I think active who might do it, and might in capitals, is Roy Halladay. Because with the Phillies now, the Phillies usually, except for the last couple of games, are a great offensive team. He should win a lot of games. But then again, playing in that ballpark, half his schedule in Philadelphia, that's a hitter's park. He could lose some games, too, because the other teams also have home run hitters.
0: Mm-hmm. So he's
3: got to win. Look, do the math. twenty, fifteen years of 20 wins or 20 years of 15 wins or more, that's pretty darn difficult to do. In fact, it's a wonder Don Sutton is a 300-game winner because
1: he only had one twenty one 21 season. Yeah, that, that is one of the most amazing stats ever about Don Sutton. You know, you, the Halliday comparison I do like because, you know, you brought up about – you know, uh, pitch counts and only pitch in six or seven inning. He's probably the only pitcher in baseball right now where his manager lets him pitch as much as he wants to. You know, he. Actually- well, if you had Brad
3: Lynch in your bullpen, you would too. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but you know, Jose Contreras is their closer now. You don't. You don't feel confidence in Jose Contreras. He's the only
3: guy in baseball older than Jamie Moyer, who's the closest guy to 300 wins. <laughs>
2: How far, how far is Jamie Moyer away, a guy who has survived, if not with excellence, certainly longevity?
3: Jamie Moyer's got 263, but he's 47 wow. years old. I mean, uh-huh. this guy's going to be in a wheelchair pretty soon,
1: so you've got to be careful. Yeah, a, 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 Jamie Moyer will have to learn how to pitch a knuckleball if he is going to get 47 more wins. Well, he does throw pretty softly to start with,
3: so maybe that's the secret to success. Look at Phil Necroft. Phil Negro pitched way past the age of 47. Oh, yeah.
1: That, did he really pass 47? I thought Jamie, well, Jamie Moore's is the oldest to ever throw a, a shutout at, at his age. Right. And he think... broke
3: Phil Nicro's record because Phil threw one at age 46. And by the way, Phil Negro was the only 300 game winner of modern era who threw a shutout for his 300th win.
1: Wow. That, that's a good stat right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, maybe is it going to be a knuckleballer that it's going to take in order to have like that long of a career? Because there's not that many left, and I really think that the, the, a team should search for knuckleballs because it seems like those are those guys are usually doing pretty well nowadays, the few that there are in the game because there's so few of them. But maybe you get a guy that can throw a knuckleball well enough and he can pitch for 20 years, maybe that's the guy that can actually do it.
3: Well, the problem is the pitch is so hard to catch. It's like Charlie Lowe's theory about catching a knuckleball. There are two theories about it, you know, pick it up when it stops rolling or just let it go by. So. <laughs> Now, it's too hard to to have a catcher who can catch a knuckleball, even if you have a knuckleballer who's that consistent as Phil Necro was. But if you look look at Phil Necro's record, he once led the National League in both wins and losses in the same year.
1: (laughs) I think Wilbur Wood did the same thing, too, in the
2: American League. Ferguson Jenkins came close at least a couple of times also.
3: Yeah, but he wasn't a knuckleball pitcher. But Necro's team was the Bad News Braves. That's what I called them at the time. They were really a terrible
2: team. Mm Mm-hmm. Dan Slosberg joining us. Danny, uh, what uh, particular baseball team do you root for? Where did you grow up? What team do you currently root for? Well, I'm a
3: Braves fan because in 1957, I live in the New York metro area. In 1957, the Milwaukee Braves beat the Yankees in the World Series. Okay. All my friends rooted for the Yankees except for the Dodgers and Giants fans. And those, those teams left for the West Coast after that season. So Dodgers and Giants fans had new allegiances, and I became a Milwaukee Braves fan. There and I know. stayed with them for 53 years.
1: Now, Dan, are, do you still have hatred? Now, which were you a, a Giants fan or a Dodger fan?
3: Oh, I was a Dodger fan long ago.
1: Do, did do you still have hatred for the LA Dodgers? Like
3: most people from New York? No, because I was too young to really become a diehard, passionate fan. But gotcha. you know, there are other teams to hate, other players to hate. So, <laughs> but I don't, I don't even want to get into that because baseball is so much fun. And in this particular book of the ten living three hundred game winners. Five of them have Atlanta connections, so that was really a lot of fun to do those interviews.
2: Mm-hmm. Who, who are the five?
3: Well, Maddox and Glavitt, okay, Phil Crow, Gaylord Perry, and Don Sutton has been a broadcaster for the Braves for 10 ah, years.
2: Ah, there you go. There I would go.
3: have forgot
1: Gaylord Perry. I, I forgot. He's pitched on half the teams that before expansion. I think he, he pitched on almost half of them. So. Mm-hmm.
3: Oh, it's really true. And Gaylord was released by the Braves when he had 297 victories. They didn't think he could pitch anymore. So he hooked and on then, with Seattle and got his 300th.
2: My yeah, favorite would have
1: taken anybody at that particular time. Oh, yeah, definitely.
2: <laughs> My favorite baseball card, Milwaukee Brave, Atlanta Brave, Bob Tiffenewer did not did not break into that 300-win club, huh?
3: No, he was primarily a release pitcher, but Phil Nico helped him quite a bit, and there Bobby stayed in baseball a lot longer than he pr- probably would have otherwise. Long but time. again, it was getting a catcher that can catch the knuckleball. Gene <laughs> Oliver, who was a pretty good home run hitter, was traded by the Braves for Bob Euchre, uh-huh. who couldn't hit at all because Euchre could catch.
2: Got to get some defense behind a play. Well, beautiful. The book is called The 300 Club, all about uh, 300-game winners, and it does pose the question, will we? Will we in our lifetime or maybe ever again have a 300-game winner? And it's all about uh, each of the players, veteran writer Dan Schlossberg, getting it done. Danny, if people are interested in purchasing the book or getting a look at it, uh, website or phone number they could call.
3: Sure. Easiest way is Amazon.com. Everybody can spell that, so I won't bother spelling it. Or you can go on ascendbooks.com, it's A S C E N D books dot com.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Or at your local bookstores and great Father's Day gift too.
2: That's right. That's right. Father's Day coming up, big dog.
1: Uh, yeah, that's uh well I, I don't have one for he wouldn't even have read anyways. You know, Dan, I know I've read some of your books before, to be honest with you, because I'm always reading baseball books. Mm-hmm. And your name's very familiar for me. I'm just not sure which one of them is that I that I've read, so uh I'm gonna have to find I'm gonna have to go through my book collection. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: You didn't write Poseidon Adventure, too, did you?
3: No, I did. My Hamilton's autobiography. I did Ron Bloomberg's book called Designated Hebrew, and I did a big book called The Baseball Catalog, Baseball Almanac, Baseball Gold. Mm-hmm.
1: So those are yeah, some you know, of the titles. We do we do talk about that because we joke around. The coach is, is Jewish, like the all time Jewish team. Who would you put at catcher? Just wondering. Who's
3: who's the catcher? Johnny Kling. K-L-I-N-G, he was probably the best Jewish catcher. Mo Ginsburg wasn't very good, and there are a couple others who weren't too good. <laughs> yeah, Mike Lieberthal had a pretty decent year one year. Yeah, he did. He did.
0: <laughs> but there, there's yeah.
3: some dispute as to his being 100% Jewish, but that's another story. <laughs> uh,
2: that could be
3: book number 36. Well, we got Hank Greenberg at first base. Oh, for, for sure. Sean, and Sandy Kodak is a left-handed pitcher, for sure. Yep. Larry Sherry, a right-handed reliever, he was terrific. Sean Green, who held the record for total bases in one game, 19 ah, total bases. There you go. Put him in your outfield. Uh-huh. And of course, you got Bloomberg as your DH, first DH in baseball history, April sixth, nineteen seventy three,
2: hmm. and
3: his bat is the only one in the Hall of Fame because of a walk. He walked in his first at bat as a DH, as a DH.
2: As oh, the DH. first, the first ever DH.
3: First ever DH, April sixth, nineteen seventy three, at Fenway Park for the Yankees. There you go.
2: How about that? Any hints on what uh, book number 36 might be, Dan? Any chance you want to write a book about uh, two struggling talk show hosts trying to make it big in the city of Chicago?
3: Well, actually, I, one of the 10 Living 300-game winners and I are talking about a future book project. I can't say who it uh-huh. is, but you'll have to okay. you know, use your powers of deductive reasoning.
2: All right. Well, put us on the list for our first interview so we can get in on the early the early uh, swallow, okay?
3: That would be great. I really enjoyed being on your show. Thank you.
2: Beautiful. Dan, thank you so much. Best of luck luck with the book. Again, it's the 300 Club. Best way to get it, folks. Amazon.com. Longtime author extraordinaire, Dan Schlossberg. Thank you so much, Dan. All right, there he is. Not a hockey fan, big dog, but a major baseball fan. Good guy. I think Uh, he likes to talk with him all day long. I was going to say, I think he likes you a lot more. I don't think he appreciated any of my uh, backhanded humor. Well, it's, it's quite all
1: right, record He needs to download one of my baseball trivia apps is what he does. I,
2: you know, how many people can
1: actually stump me? So, you know, I should have known the Walter Johnson one. I should have mm-hmm. known that. I was kind of like, I, I don't know. I think the first couple names that I thought of, like for some reason I just saw something on Warren Spahn, and I did not know. I I, I honestly did not know that he had pitched for another team other than the, than the I, Braves. I, think. I
2: was a little shocked that, uh, especially, you know, back in the day – Players didn't get traded as much. I was shocked to know that there was only one 300-game winner ever that pitched only with one team. I would have thought a lot more. I was surprised on that. But uh... and,
1: and, and I always tell you this, because you always get upset, oh, I don't like the fact all the trading and players changing teams. And I try to tell you, Coach, it's always going on. So obviously, maybe you could believe me now. Players believe... have been moving for years. The only difference now is that, The owners, because of the reserve clause, that isn't around anymore. Now the owners don't own players like they used to. But trust me, it's always gone on, Coach, always.
2: Big dog, I now believe. I believe. Do do you believe? I believe, Coach. Do you believe that I believe? You know what? No, because you
1: believe now. But trust me, a year from now, or in about three months, you're going to be complaining that there's too many trades going on in baseball and you can't keep track of everybody.
2: I believe. You might be right. Right, we're going to take a quick break. Back to some Stanley Cup hockey and uh, maybe get to some NBA finals and more Big Dog and the coach with you up until 11 o'clock. 888-463-6748. 15 lines open if you want to try to squeeze in. Back in a minute at TalkZone.com.
1: are open for your calls on two guys and a mic call 888 go for it once again here's the coach john cone and the big dog joel radwanski on talkzone.com
2: Hey, we are walking you back two guys and a mic big dog 49 years i believe that since the blackhawks have won a stanley cup 35 years 35 years since a dave schultz since a uh Bobby Clark sipped from the Stanley Cup for the Philadelphia Flyers. That's a collective, almost 100 years, up to 84 years. Somebody, Somebody's going to be celebrating the Stanley Cup. Hawk take on the Flyer. Here in Chicago, by the way, the media attention has gone um, from extremely high to almost overboard. Are you? Well, let me ask your reaction on the media coverage, which of the last couple of days has been extensive, to say the least. Well,
1: Coach, I've been focusing on baseball because, the only media coverage I care about is Black and Blue City. Okay. So I don't even know. I, I can't even tell you. I have not seen any of it because I don't watch any type of news whatsoever.
2: What about reading the papers?
1: I, I don't I'm a, I don't read the papers anymore. I hate to tell you that.
2: You get all the, the pictures and the posters the newspapers have. You know, yes, today we have your number 32 Chris Steed posters. It's a little bit much for me. In fact, in today's trip, Big Dog, and we'll get to Black and Blue City here and. and uh, in just a minute, everybody's trying to jump on board. The Chicago Fire, our local soccer team, mm-hmm. they they take out a full page ad. This is just an example of how everybody's jumping on the Blackhawks bandwagon. Full page ad in the Tribune Sports page, and it, uh-huh. it and, and and the headline is is we give half our teeth to win a Cup two. Congratulations, Chicago Blackhawks! Yada 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 from your soccer team, the Chicago Fire. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, it is kind of cool, but the media hype is definitely uh. Gone way overboard. But tell me very quickly. Not about... at
1: all, coach. Not at all. If the if the Chicago Bears in 1985, just because they were they started off undefeated, yep. there was exactly they had Tom Thayer pull-out posters in the <laughs> every single day in the Chicago Tribune, or sometimes seriously. This is nothing new. Hey, it's always happened.
2: I still have my Tom Thayer pullout poster. Be careful.
1: You do. It's,
2: it's an artifact.
1: He's felt now. Huh? He's much he's much better in safe now than when he was playing football.
2: Yes, he is. Yes, he is. There might be a few reasons for that we're not going to get into, but he's a lot thinner. <laughs> a lot thinner now than he used to be, that's for sure. So does his hair, that's funny. Thank you. Tell me very quickly about Black and Blue City before we uh, break down the Blackhawk Flyer series, or just break down, period.
1: You know, I hate to be keep beating at the death coach, but I've been told that I have to start promoting it a little bit harder, and I'm going to. Basically, I'm on a show with Chuck Copic, and I go up against a guy by the name of Matt Benson. Matt Benson is the Sox uh, the man. I'm the the Southside Irish Cub fan. Shaq Topic is the moderator. He gives us topics, and Matt and I go at it tooth and nails. And um, it's, a, it's a show that if you go to WCIU.com, mm-hmm. you can find it on there if you just wait a minute. It'll come up, or just go to BlackAndBlueCity.com. Watch the episodes. Please comment on them. If you like us, if you hate us, whatever. If you if you love Matt, the Stocks guy, and you hate me, go right ahead and rip me. I have absolutely no problem with it. Coach, the people who are ripping me make me feel real good. Some, some people are like, <laughs> I hate that guy. And you know what? I don't think I've ever felt. But, you know, I thought I was happy when I finally got a stalker. But to have a guy just hate me because <laughs> I proved a really good point made me know that I'm really getting there. I'm close to really some you, success.
2: You know you've come of age in the business when you get more people hating you.
0: Well, yeah, it's exactly. the old story. It's, it's the old story. Either
2: love me or hate me, That's, but, but nothing. But, you know, not not the indifference is what will kill us all.
1: It's so far you said indifferent, because I remember one time this, this this one girl that I really, really liked. We had dated for a while. Yep. And, you know, we, we're near the end. I was like, well, don't you love me anymore? She's like, I'm indifferent. I was like, oh, my God. Oh. It was the worst thing anybody has wow. ever said to me, ever,
2: that's, ever. That's, that's nasty.
1: Yeah, I know. That's serious. It was the worst thing ever. Mm-hmm. You know what is funny? She came calling back, and she still contacts me, by the way. So her ah,
2: indifference was just a lie. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. By the way, your partner uh, Matt on the BlackandBlueCity.com folks, check it out. Cubs fan versus Sox fan with Chester Copic right in between. Uh, we call you—you're a pretty big guy. That's why we call you the big dog. Your partner is a big dog of sorts too. He—he's a large man.
1: Yes. Yes. And we—we uh, are both high school uh, football and baseball players. Mm-hmm. Um, I have remained in pretty decent shape. Matt hasn't. <laughs> and uh <laughs> i i love the guy though i i can't even explain uh i i kind of like mentioned to him because we i've turned it up a notch and i'm going to be even harder on him now than i have been before because mm-hmm. i really feel like because like, coach you know I, I didn't know him that well and i didn't want to go out there and just like try to make him look like a schmuck or whatever you know what i mean because mm-hmm. i don't want to hurt his feelings or whatever Right. Well, but now i mean i really think i've got a friend for life in this guy i'm not kidding you it's like i got it's one of those fields where i just click with this guy and i just feel we're going to be buddies forever okay so like i told him i was like i, I hope you realize right off the bat now that i i i like you enough that i really can go after you and he just started laughing he's like well you better expect the same so mm-hmm. it, it's good stuff coach it's, right. uh, I, I i've never really been happier and uh and honestly, to everybody out there and that is, that's listening and on, on Talk Talkstone, two guys in the mic, the coach, John Cohn, has been extremely good to me and gave me opportunity a while back and has continued to let me do this show with him. And if it wasn't for that, I would not be finally getting this huge break. And mm-hmm. hopefully I can turn this huge break into our huge break, too, Coach.
2: Beautiful. I appreciate you mean, that.
1: You meant a lot to me, is all I'm saying.
2: Too. Thank you. I appreciate that. WCIU.com. Check it out, folks. And- Black and Blue City. And,
1: Coach, I I know you wanted to talk uh, more Blackhawk hockey, and you keep on talking. There's too much media coverage. But before we get into that, can I touch on something that we definitely need to talk to talk about this Memorial Day weekend? Absolutely. Okay. uh, Yesterday, the nominees, or not the nominees, the actual people that are getting inducted into the 2010 College Football Hall of Fame were announced. Yep. And Pat Tillman was one of those names. Mm -hmm. And on Memorial Day weekend, I don't think there's a, a better tribute then they have Pat Tillman as one of the honorees for this year's class of the Hall of Fame induction. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I'm going to tell you straight up right now, I don't care what it takes. I'm going to be at that induction this year, Coach, because you're talking about a guy that he, he didn't make the College Football Hall of Fame because he was killed in action uh, fighting for our country after he gave up an uh, extremely lucrative uh, contract in the NFL. He's playing because for four consecutive years he was a starter on one of the best defenses in the country, the Arizona State Sun Devils, and he he led the Pac-10 in tackles at least two years, Coach. At least two years he led the Pac-10 in tackles. Mm -hmm. Okay, This guy deserves it for being on the field. But normally, for some reason, the college football hall, there's so many guys that deserve it. Usually you see when they're playing, they played in the 60s. Why didn't these guys... Like, everybody else is, like, from the 60s that is getting inducted with him. Not everybody, but most.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It, it's just they're behind. I'm so glad that they, they're they getting him in now. And every single American should know Pat Tillman's story because, you know what, he's exactly what uh, America, fighting for your country, doing the right thing, is all about Patrick Tillman. And I'm so proud that the College Football Hall of Fame inducted him early and didn't wait too long. And the NFL Hall of Fame? to do exactly the same thing. Pat Tillman belongs in Canton. Not this year, because I give him a couple years of of getting the recognition, you know what I mean? So, like, maybe two years from now, so he can stay in everybody's, um, like, thoughts and and, and memories. Mm-hmm. Pat Tillman, not only does he belong in a college football hall, and thank you for putting him in there, he also just belongs in Canton. His story is absolutely remarkable. Yeah. And if he would have remained, remained playing football and instead of being uh, – you know, going to fight off. He was eventually going to be an all-pro coach. The guy, he was making $4 million a year back when $4 million a year was a lot of money, you know, playing football. He was good. He was going to be a great, great football player, Coach.
2: It's a great so, uh, great tribute, great tribute by yourself, and I appreciate you saying that, great tribute from the College Football Hall of Fame. How many young kids today, I forget how many years ago, was that. Pat Tillman made that decision to leave his football career and it- – Go to the it military. Was, it, it was
1: basically the day the 2001 football season ended, Coach.
2: Okay. He so want to, he, he, there, there's he, he a fair amount was, of 8, 9, 10, 11, 12-year-old kids right now. I don't know how many teachers are telling the story of Pat uh, Tillman. I'm, my guess is, you know, out of sight, out of mind, you forget a little bit. Kids today, that 8- through 13-year-old group that might not be aware of the story, big dog, they should all, that should be part of every school's curriculum, some mention of the story. Of Patrick Tillman.
1: I couldn't agree more, Coach. I could not agree more. And you know what? It would have been a phenomenal story if he served his tour of duty, came back, and played in the NFL again. Yep. It still should have been a phenomenal story, and everybody should have known about it. Because you know what? There's many, 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 many people that have sacrificed their life, and, you know, and they get put up on the pedestal.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And they deserve to be. I'm not saying, you know, they don't. But there's also many people that, you know, they've come back. And they gave up a lot in order to, to fight mm-hmm. for us, you know. So, and those people are scarred in many ways that we will never understand.
0: Yep.
1: Okay. So, the, even if he wasn't killed in action, he still should have been put up on that pedestal just because he decided to make mm-hmm. that sacrifice, like his brother. Everybody remembers Pat Tillman. Well, his brother gave up a, a promising baseball career. Mm-hmm. He was drafted like in the second round and was in the minor leagues and had just started. His brother also gave yeah. it up. Nobody ever mentions him. Okay. And I don't even know his brother's name, and I'm pretty, uh, I'm ashamed not to know it. But he did the same thing. He should be put on the same exact pedestal. He gave up a professional baseball career to go uh, do what he thought was right, too. So.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, it is Memorial Day weekend. That's mm-hmm. a nice tribute, Big Dog. And I always, um, you know, wherever your political vent might be, and by the way, people, you want to check in as we change topics here a little bit on the uh, Memorial Day weekend, Patrick Tillman or um, any of the like subject, Eight 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 four six three six seven four eight. The phone number, but I always like to think on Memorial Day weekend, Big Dog, you, uh, think back of these soldiers that fought for their country, and I'm gonna add there because not just our country, for yes. the soldiers that are there currently, okay, and for the people that, uh, you know, have come back home and may have been injured or affected, all the horrible things that war has done for people, and, and I, and maybe this is a little bit controversial. When I think of Memorial Day, I think back of all the uh, the innocent, wasted lives, not just of Americans, but uh, young soldiers, the horrors of war, young soldiers in all other countries fighting for their country, right or wrong. There's many young innocent people that have lost their lives over the years of war, Big Dog. And if nothing else, over Memorial Day weekend, you think about that a little bit. Uh, Coach, uh, I have no problem with you thinking that way because you yeah. know what? I'm not being uh, unpatriotic. I'm not. You know, I'm just saying it's not just America, not just America that has great young soldiers fighting for their country that have lost their lives. I think that's important for us to remember.
1: Yeah, I, how many uh, Iraqi soldiers would have had their family terrorized and yep. killed if they didn't fight for Iraq? Exactly. You know what I mean? How many you know, the Japanese soldiers uh, back in the '40s who were uh, fighting against the Marines? If they didn't do as told, they would have been killed. So, like, mm-hmm. they had, in some way, they were forced to fight, okay? And just just throwing it out there, have you, to anybody, I know it's watching something and blah, 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 that doesn't really mean anything, but in order to kind of, like, pay your respects and, and to learn something, people need to watch The, the, the Pacific by Spielberg and yep. Tom Hanks. Have you seen it, Coach?
2: I have seen bits and pieces. My wife is a... Uh hooked on it, and she has said it has been very, very good, realistic and very emotional.
1: It's unbelievable, is all I have to tell you. They, You know, the, they made Banner Brothers, and Banner Brothers told a great story. It was a phenomenal story about how much these guys sacrificed and what they did for the freedom of, of, of France, of the United States, of Belgium, of Spain, all that part of the world, okay, those guys, Holland, those guys gave their lives and all that but it was very difficult to follow because you didn't know the, the personal stories of these guys. Well, this, they actually have the people that the actual people interviewed. Okay. And they're showing it's, it's so well done. You really get the feel that, you know, these are human beings that are out there doing this. And there's a story of a, a, a medal of honor winner that I'm ashamed. I didn't even know existed until I watched the Pacific and his name is John Bassalone coach.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: This guy's story is so amazing He basically was a Marine. I mean, excuse me, he was in the Army. Uh, The attack at Pearl Harbor happened, and the next day he enlisted with the Marines because he wanted to go and and fight in the Pacific. He ended up winning a a Medal of Honor after Guadalcanal, and they took him out to sell war bombs. And he kept begging, put me back in. Well, they made him a gunnery sergeant and gave him a a company. And when his time was done, he said, there's no way I'm leaving the the company that I trained. I am taking these guys uh, and fighting one more time. And he he basically took these guys and led them into into battle at Iwo Jima. He lost his life, and right and they were losing a battle, coach. And the la, the last thing they show him doing is he grabs a guy outside of the tank and he's like, "You tell this tank to follow me." And he, with a machine gun, leads these guys off mm-hmm. the beach. He, he, normally, the tanks and, and and this again, is this, this is the guy is... who led the tanks into the into the battle, coach. And this is and, real story, yeah,
2: you know. Real, I, I mean, part of the problem, I think, is you know we get. Uh, with video and YouTube and movies. Now, we get so inundated by the media. And we've seen so many news clips and things. It's hard to, especially for kids, I think. Sometimes, big dog, they can't separate the news clips they're seeing that's actual reality from all the mm-hmm. video games and the movies and the other stuff that they've seen. But you got to, it sounds silly, but you almost have to slap yourself on the head and, and realize, yes, actual, real Human beings are out there risking their lives in a war front. It's almost unfathomable to a guy who grew up in the Chicago suburbs to think about. But it's real, and Memorial Weekend is a time to think about that.
1: Now, Coach, you, you have On Demand, right? I do. And you have HBO, right? I do. So what, what I want you to do when you go home is go to On Demand, and they actually they put the stories of these individual Marines that they're talking about on okay. there. So if you're going to watch it, you can actually watch just a nine-minute clip on John Baskillow's life. Okay. And I guarantee you one thing: you're going to start watching it. It's
0: mm-hmm.
1: the way the way basically every single guy in there is like, I wouldn't be alive if it wasn't for him. He saved thousands of American lives with his bravery. Right. I mean, it's it, it's funny because like when he was training these companies, Got they about all ten seconds done. But
2: about ten seconds.
1: Okay, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to go. Off, but this Memorial Day weekend. When you're at some barbecue grill, you're doing everything. Just remember, there are people yep. who sacrifice a heck of a lot is all yep. I'm saying about that. Beautiful. And thank you very much to all those. People.
2: Well put. Well put. But we got away from Stanley Cup Hockey and the sports talk. But quite frankly, you know what? The Memorial Day stuff is uh, maybe a little bit more important. That was well done, oh. Big Dog.
1: The, the reason why we're we are able to have a Memorial Day weekend and watch hockey yeah. is because of these men you are and
2: women. You are correct. Hey, have a great weekend everybody out there. Thank you so much for listening. David Olson, our producer, great job. We'll be back at you Tuesday next week. Big dog, thank you so much. Have a wonderful Memorial Day weekend. Talkzone.com. Two guys and a mic.